0: Screw it, screw it. We're just talk about comics. Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. That's comic books with your hosts, Kevin Hines and Will Hines, two brothers who read a lot of comics. Uh, and we talk about those comics that we liked a lot, particularly the ones that impacted us when we were younger. Uh, I'm Kevin Hines. And I'm Will Hines. Yeah, and as I said, we're brothers. We're also comedians and performers at the UCB theaters and training centers. Will is based in Los Angeles and I am based in the tri-state area. Mm -hmm. So the New York theater.
1: Uh, Yes we are hilarious comedians and um, Mm -hmm. we are stewards of the next generation of comedians.
0: And this is our season finale Will.
1: That's right their last episode of season two. Uh,
0: How many episodes do we do this season?
1: I think this will be 23. So we did
0: 23 last season we did like 40 some something like that we did
1: almost 50 the first season okay by the by the Um, end but all told
0: and uh yeah this is our season finale we're not ending the show we're just gonna take a break until the new year until 2020 Mm -hmm. this episode should be i think releasing just after thanksgiving maybe the first week of december or
1: or last week of november there's no way to know for sure but sometime around then
0: yeah, and then we'll take a few weeks off, and we'll be back, I think, like, January 8th is right now the plan to come back. So a much shorter break than between seasons one and two if you listen to us live.
1: Uh, yeah, we have to talk to the Campfire Media guys to see what they think, but that that's our plan. Yeah. And we're going to come back, and we're definitely going to do the first six issues of The Incredible Hulk to start.
0: Yeah, so those will be by Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, a little Steve Ditko in there as well, because mm-hmm. he did issue six. Yeah. Yeah they're they're weird each issue is completely different yeah. they're beautiful yeah uh, there's no coherence to like it just feels like a different pilot episode every issue
1: yeah it's going to be really fun but today we're doing sort of a we so we have been talking about the Fantastic 4 this whole season and right. this we episode, covered yeah. 102 issues of
0: the Fantastic 4 mm-hmm. we just wrapped that up uh, over the last couple episodes mm-hmm. and they were great and they were really fun and now we're doing something a little different for our finale
1: yeah we're going to go over uh Watchmen, the uh, comic book series by Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. We're going to go over the first issue in particular and talk a little bit about the whole thing. Kind of for no reason. I mean, the reason is the HBO has a television show about it. It doesn't have anything to do with the Fantastic Four. Kevin and I just want to do it.
0: But it is a comic that uh, had a huge impact on us as comic book readers. That's for sure. Do you want to talk a little bit about Because you read it before me. You, should we talk about what it is first or our discovery of it let Let's
1: first? do what it is first. Okay. So I,
0: I don't know how to answer that.
1: Okay. I'm going to do it. So Watchmen is a 12 issue comic book series that came out in 1986. It was done by Alan Moore, writer and Dave Gibbons, artist. And uh, it's just, it was a huge smash hit and hugely influential. It is, um, it tells the story basically of a, a world in which there are superheroes, but the world is sort of more realistic than most superhero worlds. It's sort of like, what would superheroes be like in the real world? If they had to deal with real problems, if there was real-world reactions to them.
0: Which I think is a thing that's been done a number of times since Watchmen, but I don't know how much it was done before Watchmen.
1: I don't know either. It feels like the kind of thing that people try to do now and then, but I think, so it's what I just described is not that original a concept, but what was original with Watchmen was just, I guess, how well it was done. Uh, Alan Moore, the writer... Just had a knack for really going for doing like, oh, I bet you never thought of this, or I bet you never thought of it like this, or I bet you never thought that a Batman-like character would be like this, or that a a Wonder Woman-like character would be like this, or something like that. These tropes that you're used to, I'm going to sort of turn them all on their head for fun, and all original characters. There was there was no. There was nobody we'd ever seen before when Watchmen came out. And it just is really fun and it was a hit and it's it always has been a hit.
0: Yeah, I mean, what Alan Moore does that other people who've done these sort of stories uh, don't do as well, nobody does as well, it's just how dense the comic feels. It's, I'm not even talking about like, oh, there's a lot of text on the page. I mean, he always has like back matter in his books. like mm-hmm. There's book excerpts and things like that, but I'm not even talking about that. It just feels like every panel it feels like it was preceded by a 12 year history of comics that were not actually made but just feels like it's there it feels so lived in and so real
1: yeah the world is so thoroughly thought through it's so so impressive i definitely think i mean this doesn't sound like a recommendation but i think watchmen isn't fully enjoyable until you read it the second time cuz only when you sort of know the overall story can you appreciate all the details in the initial issue, for example, it's crazy how much he knows all of the characters right from the get go, given just like you said, there's no history of these guys.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, you read this comic and it all—it almo- does feel like, and there's some reason to this, but it's more just how good Alan Moore is, but it just feels like you read this like, well, these characters must have existed before this. Yeah. Because there's no way anyone would take the time to create all this information about a character for one story.
1: Yeah, it just seems like every character in the book seems like they have a huge personal history that Alan knows. He knows he could could tell you what music they listen to, where they've been on vacation, the interactions between any two of them right away. And, you know, another thing that makes that interesting, Kevin, is he hadn't written the whole thing when it started being published. Like when the first issue came out, I think he was writing issue eight or something like that. But he must have had like a thorough outline, right? Yes. I, I'm sure that he knew the characters and he knew the overall ending, but he hadn't yet broken it all out and worked on it and there was still room for changes to be made. It doesn't feel like that. It feels like a complete thing from the get-go.
0: Yeah. Watchmen, was, Watchmen came out late. Like, was it one of these comics that was delayed
1: uh, by the end? Yes. The, the, it initially was every month and then there was, like, delays.
0: Yeah, because Watchmen often gets brought up by comic book people when, like, great comic books are being delayed and they're just sort of like, Once it's collected like Watchmen, you won't care. You won't think about how long it was between chapter 10 and 11. Yeah. But also no comic book is as good as Watchmen generally. Yeah. So then when it's all done, you're like, eh, (laughs) it was pretty good. But Watchmen was that good and it was worth the wait.
1: I do think that Watchmen is—so part part of this episode, I want people, if you haven't ever read Watchmen, to read it. If you're a comic book fan, I really advocate for that. So in, in in me trying to pitch people to read it, I want to acknowledge something that's sort of like no fun about Watchmen. So I really want to say something negative, even though I adore this comic. That density that you're talking about, it is kind of off-putting. Like when, you've, when you read Watchmen the first time, I think it, you're confused. You're like, you don't quite know— how to think of all the characters and it takes a couple of issues before you sort of have a feel for who everybody is. And I and again, I really think it isn't until the second time that you fully enjoy it. Now normally that to me doesn't sound like a recommendation. It's like, well something should be good the first time through. This is still good the first time through. It's just a little bit feels like work. But then it kicks in, and it's incredibly worth it that that's sort of I'm just acknowledging why people maybe haven't read it yet if you haven't, and I'm saying, push through it, it's worth it,
0: yeah uh, I mean the first time I read Watchmen, which I don't remember when that was, I don't think it was when it came out because I think I remember you having the issues and trying to read it and just being like, no, yeah, uh, and I think I was also you were 12, eleven
1: you were 11, yeah, I 11,
0: think. 12. and it was just like, uh no, I'll go back to reading John Byrne fantastic four yeah. or incredible hulk by uh, whoever was doing it at that time i think peter david was doing it by then which was just much easier for me to handle yeah uh but when i did eventually sit down and read it and i loved it i still was like 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 as i mentioned like each issue ends with like excerpts from books or, or various things like that mm-hmm. and a number of those i just sort of like skipped yeah. or <laughs> felt like ugh, i don't want to read this right now right right there's a pirate story subplot where one of the characters is reading a pirate comic book yes and I definitely skipped that the first time I read it or skimmed it very, <laughs> very quickly. Yeah. But I still loved it. It was a great superhero story. It's a great mystery Yes. that sort of builds into like a, basically a superhero yarn with like superhero backstory with legacies and older characters and flashbacks and all that stuff hit me really hard the first time I read it. And then it became one of these books that I read. I think for a while I would read like every year, year and a half, I would just pull it out and read it again. Mm-hmm. And every time I read it, I would sort of get pulled into a different part of the book, whether that was the back matter or the pirate stuff or some other aspect. I'd be like, well, this is now my favorite part. Yeah. And even when I reread issue one uh, a couple days ago to prepare for this podcast, Will, mm-hmm. I noticed something that I hadn't noticed before that you probably have. But I was like, how did I not see this?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I can't wait to hear what that Every is.
0: time I read it, it's something pops up to me and I'm like, I don't know if I've ever seen this, this tiny little detail. And it is so cool. Yeah. So that happened yet again. And I, I was hoping that would happen like, while I was reading it. But I was like, it won't because I've read it now dozens of times. And then I read it and I was like, well, there's something I don't think I
1: noticed. It's, it's really satisfying. The surface level like story of Watchmen is a superhero gets murdered in the first issue. And another one of the superheroes suspects... That someone wants to kill all of the superheroes. And so it's like a whodunit. Like, who is trying to kill all the superheroes? That's like your surface-level plot of Watchmen.
0: Yeah, I mean, the issue we're covering today is basically just this detective is investigating the murder of a superhero, and he investigates the main suspects, which are all the other superheroes.
1: So we get to meet all the characters that way, and it sets up this like whodunit mystery, which is the main plot of the story, but it, it uncovers a much more... Uh, a larger story as it goes. However, I think the main fun of Watchmen is not that who done it. Like I don't think of Watchmen as a murder mystery.
0: No, it isn't. It's just sort of. But this first issue feels like that's what it's setting up.
1: Yeah, and uh, what Watchmen is is. We're going to introduce you to a bunch of characters who are just seem at first to be superhero tropes that you're familiar with. But then Alan Moore is basically like a little stinker who's like, what if I gave it the most cynical and worst possible interpretation? You know, what if every single one of these people was like deeply screwed up and the world is screwed up? I mean, it's really kind of mean. Like the the, right. the, the sensibility of Watchmen is like, what if superheroes were a bummer and a total bad idea? And I'm just going to like... Like, poke them apart in the smartest way. I mean, it's really a testament to how smart Alan Moore is that he basically rips apart every superhero trope as being stupid, and superhero fans loved it.
0: <laughs> Definitely goes into this idea that, like, to be a superhero, you're a broken human being. Yeah. And if you're a broken human being, you're probably not suited to being a hero.
1: That's right. And the world is also broken here. Like, everybody sure. is cynical and bad in this world. Like, there, I don't know if there's anybody who's. I can think of one character offhand, the original Night Owl, who never really gives up being a good guy. Yeah. Uh, there maybe are others, but there's there aren't many, that's for sure. It is a, a tarnished bad world. But that's kind of fun and satisfying. It also just, it felt so crazy smart. Like, it just felt like it was confidently more intelligent than every superhero comic out there just like this is no big deal i'm going to be talking about the politics of america and soviet union nuclear uh standoff and i'm going to bring in like closet homosexuality and and societies who fear that and i'm going to talk about broken homes and really broken people and the and the types of justice they would enact just like it was no big deal at all and and When I was 16 and I read this, my friend, I should say, my friend George Ferenz, you remember George, Kevin? Sure. Got Watchmen before me. I was like, I don't know. I was a Dark Knight boy. I was like, I don't need another comic book event. And right, uh, Dark Knight came out like at the same time. J- yeah, right before. But basically that's, Dark Knight and Watchmen crazy. were like a one-two punch that like rocked the superhero world that were like, oh, everything is better now.
0: It's amazing Marvel Comics didn't just shut down and say, well, we lose. I
1: know. These two huge things from the DC side of the fence. George got it first and I started reading his and it wasn't like until issue six that I was like, I think I have to get this. And then I started buying them. But I think the first time I read it, I liked it and I could tell that it was like something great and ambitious, but I didn't totally get it. And I definitely skipped all of the back matter, you know, the text stuff at the end. And I also would skim the pirate comic, the comic book within the comic, because it was just so many words. I was like, I don't care. But then when I was a freshman in college, I reread it and I was completely blown away. I was like, oh, this is the best.
0: (laughs) Had you read anything else by Alan Moore
1: prior to this? I don't think so. I don't think I I hadn't
0: either. This was definitely my first Alan Moore
1: Thing I had not read Swamp Thing. You couldn't get Miracle Man. Um, he hadn't done a lot that you'd be able to get in America. Like I don't. Yeah, even Captain think... Britain wasn't
0: in America. I don't
1: think V for Vendetta was in America either.
0: So then it would basically be just like Swamp Thing. The, Super, the Superman stories and Swamp Thing.
1: Yeah, and some Green Lantern stories, maybe.
0: Yeah, but I don't even think those were like widely read until like he became big. I think his Superman stories for the Man Who Had Everything. Yeah. and uh, um, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? Yeah, those are big deals when they came out.
1: Yeah. I'm actually not an expert on his biography, but he was, he's from Britain. He's from Northampton, England, and he became big in the Marvel, the Marvel branch. I'm sorry, the England branch of DC. And so the DC editors and writers knew how great Alan Moore was and they were throwing him stuff. But if you were just a casual American reader, I knew Alan Moore as Swamp Thing guy. And I did not think of him as a luminary. I thought of him as just one of the good writers. Like there's a lot of good writers.
0: Though, so like, 20,000 AD, he probably did stuff, and, like, Captain Britain was, like... He did that before a lot of his DC stuff, and that was Marvel, UK. Okay. I'm pretty sure that yeah, was I, before a lot of it.
1: I, I don't know the exact breakdown of this, but he was... he was a But big... he didn't
0: really become huge until Swamp Thing, I think, got him known in America.
1: That's right. I think that's right.
0: But it was also... That's not a huge hit, because it's Swamp Thing.
1: Right. It wasn't like it was Superman or Batman or something.
0: And he had done a couple great Superman stories, but he wasn't, like, a Superman writer who knows he probably wasn't interested in writing like a monthly superhero book yeah and so until Watchmen, Watchmen like put him on the map and he never got off it again i should also say one other thing it's not perfect like there's oh, yeah. definitely some things in here that are like the depiction uh the, the how it deals with rape feels yeah. a little tone deaf
1: that becomes clear times. when you read a lot of alan moore stories i think mm-hmm. it's hard for you know us two dudes to speak to this but he, alan moore gets into lots of like Uh, rough stuff like violence and sex and even politics and there's just and and part of that gives it kind of a pulp fiction noir feel where you feel naughty reading it especially if you're like an early teenager superhero comics fan and you're reading Watchmen you're like ooh this is like adult stuff you know it's kind of thrilling in in the way that sort of like kind of like certain kinds of movies and violent stories are um the the that's kind of the thrilling side of it. The bad side is eh, it can be sort of cavalier. You know, you're kind of like it's it, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's completely gratuitous because these things yeah. have huge impacts on the story. But it's kind of right. like you, you are not showing any regard for for how painful these events are that you're doing. Yeah, nothing it, is in here just to shock you. But definitely
0: like the rape victim character. Uh, and I don't know enough about it. It doesn't feel like a fair depiction of that. Though, I mean, of course, all these characters are broken, so there's definitely, like, you can make excuses for it very easily, but yeah. I'm not comfortable doing that, I guess.
1: There's, um, you know, any individual can—you know, if you're talking about an individual, they don't have to represent all all versions of a story. But I, I, th- I noticed it more when I read a lot of Alan Moore. I was like, oh, Alan tends to have a sexual assault in his story, and it's usually a big deal, but not always— he also usually has an incredibly brutal murder of some kind. There's usually some kind of hippie witch sex stuff going on, and it it starts to feel like a bag of tricks in a little bit. It's like, oh, you keep shocking us with the same things, So yeah, that's like a downside. Uh-huh. but I don't know. Nobody would argue that this guy's one of the great comic book writers of all time, like. It doesn't yes. diminish from his power. Like, nobody makes me turn the page like Alan Moore. Nobody makes a just narrative. Every, I finish an Alan Moore book. I want to run and tell everybody about it. I'm like, oh, my God, you got to hear about the story I just read.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm for sure going to finish rereading this whole thing again because now that I've started, this book is open and I can't stop reading it.
1: So I, I definitely have friends who are comic book fans who are like, I won't read Alan Moore. The guy just like, you know, he does this rough stuff and I'm, you know, screw this guy. Like, he's he's kind of a jerk. That, that is a view that some people have. I totally, totally understand that. And I guess we should say here, like a trigger warning, where this story has got a lot of rough stuff in it, and there's sexual assault stuff, and there's violent stuff. There's no way to talk about Watchmen without talking about that, so I don't know. Don't listen to it if you, if that if that's a problem, because it's, it's in here.
0: And are we going to spoil the whole thing while we're talking about this? Yes. So if you haven't read it and you plan to... Uh, maybe don't listen
1: Yeah, there's anymore. Sh- there's huge, huge plot twists in Watchmen, and we're going to get into them pretty early. So let's just say that right now is your warning. Like, once we start talking about this comic, we're going to get into the big plot twists. So
0: Yeah, so we recommend reading it, but we're going to talk about it and spoil it. I still think it's good even if it's been spoiled, but I do, just I know do too. that we are not holding back.
1: Yeah. I actually forget the main twist sometimes. I don't think of the main twist. Like, when I think of The Sixth Sense... I'm thinking mainly of the twist of that story. When I think of Watchmen, I don't actually think of the main twist at first.
0: No, but I just think while we're discussing know, it I, this I, stuff, it's, so it's going to come up very effortlessly and casually.
1: It is uh, gracious of you to remember that.
0: And reveals are going uh, to, at least for reveals to me when I read it, uh, I'm going to talk about as if they're common knowledge pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's get into it. Well, let's get into so it. So we're just discussing issue one.
1: Issue one. So page one of Watchmen is just, I adore it so much, especially on a reread. There's so much going on that you don't have have to notice the first time through. Um, Not like that much, much, but more more than it seems. Um, May I just read the opening lines? They're sort of famous because they're the opening lines of Watchmen. Okay, Rorschach's Journal, October 12th, 1985. Dog carcass in an alley this morning. Tire tread on burst stomach. This city is afraid of me. I have seen its true face. The streets are extended gutters and the gutters are full of blood. And when the drains finally scab over, all the vermin will drown. The accumulated filth of all their sex and murder will foam up about their waists. And all the whores and politicians will look up and shout, save us. And I'll look down and whisper, no. I mean, like, what an opening. Do me a favor, Will. Read just the first panel caption of Stanley. Okay. (laughs) Warshak's journal, October 12th, 1985. Dog carcass in an alley this morning. Tire tread on burst stomach. This city is afraid of me. I have seen its true face. Yeah, still works a little bit. (laughs) It almost works. (laughs) Yeah, almost. So this this ends up being the journal of a character named Warshak that we meet pretty soon. And he is like a... um, a kid who was a broken home who became like a self-appointed detective. He wears a mask of a Rorschach blot that moves around, and uh, he's incredibly violent. He has he's a no he's a no compromise hero. Like if you're a villain, he'll break your arm to make you admit you shoplifted. He murders people who have committed any sort of violent crimes. Um, He's one of the main characters in the book, and this is his journal, so this kind of like incredibly violent view of the world fits the guy that we end up getting to know.
0: And this first page is basically just pulling out from the, the little smiley face button with a spot of blood on it, and blood is sort of all around it. It starts like a zoomed in on that, and it just pulls back. Up, up, up the side of a skyscraper until you see a guy sort of leaning over the edge looking down at where somebody is like hosing off this blood.
1: Yeah, we. St- yeah, and I, if I can say this a little bit of a different way, because every issue of Watchmen begins with a close-up on an image and then the first page is sort of pulling back from it. Um, not always as dramatically as this page, but you always start on a close-up of an image and then you pull back to see the sort of wide shot of what you're looking at. So you're starting on a smiley face with blood. So that already is this kind of weird irony, kind of brutal gallows humor that Alan Moore loves, a smiley face with blood. You pull up and you see that it's co- covered in blood by a sewer. There's a guy hosing it off. We pull way up the skyscraper, and there's two men that we find out later are detectives who are looking out a window, and we realize that this is the result of a murder, and they are investigating the murder. Now, yeah, what I love about this first page, Kevin, is it does... it demonstrates something that Alan Moore does really well. He does it all the time, and it's so great, which is the captions are a dialogue of somebody sort of off-panel somewhere else, but they have ironic meaning for the images you're looking at in the panel. Like, we're looking at a smiley face with blood, and the end of the very first panel is, this city is afraid of me. I've seen its true face. While you're looking at a happy face with blood on it.
0: Right, I mean, this is supposed to have been written by Rorschach at another time, maybe this night. Yeah. Maybe inspired by what he saw, but not necessarily about this panel. Uh, But everything sort of does talk about this panel. It talks about uh, the streets are extended gutters and the gutters are full of blood while someone's hosing blood into the sewers.
1: Yeah. And we're pulling up, up, up. And it says, uh, the whores and politicians will look up and shout, save us. And I will look down as we, the readers are now looking down and whisper, no. And the book is chock full and um, all Alan Moore stuff is chock full of this. And it's a really powerful way to sort of like, I don't know, give things a uh, more depth and to sort of yeah. feel like something is, something is about to happen. Meaning is and, about to be revealed to me. It gives a sense of forward momentum instantly. That is and, and awesome. A,
0: We'll need to be careful because we'll spend too long on each page of this book otherwise. Yes. But even like the last – the the sixth panel into the last panel. Yes. The last caption says, and all of a sudden nobody can think of anything to say. And then it's a detective sort of saying sort of a dumb, not really anything statement. He goes,
1: that's quite a drop. Exactly. like Which w- is nothing. He's not saying anything. He's just speaking to speak. But it feels like a little it, bit of a joke after Rorschach's comment. It's yeah. like kind of funny for someone to say that after this – intensely violent journal is like, nobody can think of anything to say. Oh, that's quite a drop. Already on page one, we have established a brutal murder, a sense of irony with the dialogue, a character we haven't met yet who's insane. Although Rorschach is shown on the first page, of course, but but it's his secret identity. We don't know that's Rorschach.
0: So Rorschach ends up being a, and this is the sort of stuff I mean, like these are reveals we're going to talk about right away. Rorschach ends up being this sort of street preacher guy who's walking around with a sign that says, the end is nigh, and he is on basically the third panel. You see his feet, I think, on the second panel, just walking through the blood. But we don't know that's him. And when I read this issue, there's he shows up so often that I'm like, how did I not know this guy was Rorschach? Yeah, he's all over the place. Um, uh, uh, I read the first two issues, uh, the second issue last night, and I was like, how, did I, how was I surprised at all that this guy ended up being Rorschach? He so clearly is, but I don't know how much of this I just know or how much of his, like, Al Moore puts it on the page.
1: This first issue opens with we're investigating a murder of a man. We find out soon he's a superhero, but we don't know that initially. And we wouldn't even know that that matters or that's anything important. But it's just two guys investigating a murder. And so they're going around the apartment trying to guess how he was thrown out a window. But we we're also cutting to flashbacks of the actual murder happening, although our flashbacks do not reveal the murderer. They
0: talk about how this guy was really built and they can't believe that anyone was able to even— even taking him by surprise that anyone could
1: take this guy down because he's so how thick the glass is. And then it must've been really hard just physically to throw him through a window
0: and just to even beat him in a fight.
1: Yeah. So whoever in a
0: fair fight, it seems like how could, how could anyone take this guy? Sort of the detectives are
1: talking about. So they they they're basically like, we're not going to be able to figure out who did this, but it was somebody nasty. But they're kind of like, well, he probably just owed some money, whatever. Like he does uh, work outside the country, um, so you know who knows? Maybe it's spy stuff. So they don't know. There's there's already little hints in the background of the larger story. Like the detectives leave the building on page um, four. I'm looking, Kevin. Panel three. The detectives are leaving. The apartment, after having done the investigation, we go by a newsstand and in the background, there is a newspaper headline, Vietnam 51st State is like part of it being shown, which is part of the backstory of how superheroes affected the political landscape. In this world... Uh, Vietnam War was won because of a superhero. Yeah, handily, and became a state, and Nixon gets reelected four times, which is like if Superman was an American and entered politics, political military events. Yeah, that would change everything. Yep. The second sort of sequence of this book is a second investigation of the same apartment, this time by Rorschach, who are now meeting for the first time. Trench coat, fedora, Rorschach blood on his face kind of a creepy yes. film noir detective looking dude and now he's going to investigate the apartment and he instantly is way better than the detectives at investigating
0: rorschach is immediately the coolest looking superhero i've ever seen yes and he seems cool because he's like badass and tough but then like any sort of detail you get on him he is disgusting hateful and close-minded and dangerous in all bad ways like those sort of the ways people might joke about batman it's true for Rorschach to the. To the nth degree. But he looks so cool that you still love him.
1: It is one of the main, like, experiences of reading Watchmen is you root for these broken people. because So if you're reading this, you're a superhero comics fan. Here comes... This is a superhero. He's got a mask. He's investigating. He looks cool. He's smart. He's great. So you're like, okay, he's my guy. I'm rooting for him. Then you find out, oh, he's like insanely right wing and totally xenophobe and like and emotionally broken. You also, you feel very bad for Rorschach. You know, he's had this traumatized life. You're scared of him because he's so insanely brutal. And so you have this affection for this broken dude. And it's the fun of Watchmen. It's the, it is such a, it's a devious
0: story. And a lot of this, Alan Moore's script's very detailed, but obviously Dave Gibbons is a master. Yeah. And this is four silent pages of him investigating. There's no like caption. Rorschach doesn't narrate what he's doing and tell you what's happening, but it's very clear what happens in these four pages.
1: Yeah, he figures out that there's a standing wardrobe that has a false back and he pops it open and finds a superhero costume, thus revealing that this man who was murdered is a superhero. The other cool thing is Rorschach's face blot You know, his face is totally covered by a Rorschach blot, but it moves. It's got some weird advanced technology where the blots move around. They kind of are emotional, so you can see that he's surprised to see the costume.
0: Yeah, he was just investigating this murder just because he investigates everything. Uh, And the cops were stumped, And I think, and and he heard that, so he went in to check it out. And then he's like, oh, I
1: know this guy. Yeah, it's the comedian— and we're going to find out a lot more about him as the story goes on. But we sort of get away from what Rorschach and we begin our process of meeting all of the main characters of this story. Yes. I mean, I'm already so hooked. Like we're so early in this story and i almost want to read the whole thing again right now.
0: Uh, uh, as I said, I read the first issue a couple of days ago and then I read the second issue last night. And I was just reading the first issue for this podcast because I, like, I don't have time to read the whole thing again. But I'm going to. I can't. Not read the whole thing.
1: And, and you're right, by the way, Kevin, Dave Gibbons, this the silent storytelling of Rorschach's investigation tells you the reader, oh, you have to really read this. You have to pay attention and watch. You can't like skim through this quickly. This isn't some easy to read issue of a superhero comic that's just, you know, you know, pedestrian, good guy, bad guy stuff. You got to pay attention. And it's really fun.
0: And so, Rorschach, one of the things he finds with the costume is a photo of a superhero group, and we cut to that photo on somebody else's wall where two men are sort of hanging out by a fireplace having a conversation.
1: And they're reminiscing about old superhero adventures. Um, one of them's an old man, one of them's a younger man. They're obviously friends, they like each other a lot. The old man lives in kind of a rundown apartment building. We don't really know the story with this, but it's implied uh, yeah, this guy must know the man who was murdered. Yeah.
0: Uh, The older man refers to the younger man as a better night owl than I ever was.
1: So you're like, okay, these guys are – and we find out soon these are superheroes called the night owl. One of them is an older one and one of them is a younger one. This This introduces a thing that's a big part of the story, which is there is an older set of superheroes, the first generation. And then there is a newer set who were kind of more broken and cynical. And it corresponds roughly to how in comic books there's your golden age superheroes and your silver age superheroes.
0: And and in a way, the Watchmen become the modern age superheroes template
1: for a while. Going forward or?
0: Yeah, after this comic book.
1: I always wondered, like, Watchmen's so fun, but can you enjoy it if you're not a superhero fan? Like... It plays so much on your just like knowledge of superhero tropes. Like all the older superheroes in Watchmen have those little domino masks like the Phantom or Robin, which so many of old superheroes had. And then the modern ones like Rorschach and Night Owl and and, um, uh, Ozymandias have kind of more elaborate kind of designs, sort of like more modern. I don't know. Like they correspond to the aesthetics of real comic books. Yeah.
0: The old heroes in this book are more like pulp heroes or just two fists and and a hood. Yeah. Um, where the later guys have gadgets and, and tech or sort of superhuman abilities, even the non-Dr. Manhattan ones. Yeah. Like Ozymandias is brilliant to such a degree that he's more than just a man.
1: Okay, let's talk a little bit about the HBO series. You're watching it. How, did you yes. see last night's episode? I
0: did because I knew we were recording. I figured I better watch it.
1: Episode five. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I'm going to say I really love it. Uh, I'm not convinced that it will be as good as the comic, but that's a tall order. Uh I'm maybe not enjoying it as much as the comic, but I am enjoying it and I really admire how how much the creators obviously loved Watchmen. The one thing I really do admire about the TV – the TV series takes place after the comic book. It's – kind of a sequel. It takes place in the world 25 years later. Um, So everything in the comic has happened. But what's really interesting watching the HBO series, Kevin, and I wonder if you've had this experience, is there's a lot of things that happen in the TV show that are sort of reminiscent of the comic book but different. And they sort of like create the same emotional experience but in a different story. So for example, here in the first issue of Watchmen, Rorschach's investigating this murder. He finds the false bottom of a wardrobe and there's a superhero costume. And that's like a big deal. Oh, this guy was a superhero, right? And then in the HBO series, a superhero breaks into somebody's house, is investigating a murder, finds a false back of a closet. And there is a costume inside that reveals a hidden life for that character of a totally different nature. And it's like, I think it's really cool how the TV series kind of... Hey, I remember this sequence from the comic. I'm going to have a similar sequence here, even though it's a different story entirely. And I love stuff like that.
0: Yeah, uh, I definitely see that. I'm enjoying the show. I like last night's episode maybe the most of any episode. Yeah, me too. Um, For sure don't think I'll like it as much as the comic book. There's no question of that in my mind. Yeah. Uh, The question is, do I like it enough to keep watching it? Uh, and the first few episodes I was sort of lukewarm about, but the last episode was pretty good and I, and I enjoyed it all the way through. So either I was in a better mood or that was a better episode or just more of my sensibility. Uh, I'm definitely going to watch the whole season uh, uh, and probably keep watching unless something knocks me out from that. And I do agree that there's like the main character we looked at last night was Looking Glass and he definitely yeah. has Rorschach-esque
1: to him. Yes, although he's a good guy, not a broken—he's not as broken as Rorschach.
0: He's not as broken, but, like, he pulls his mask up and he's eating a can of bean.
1: I know, I And know.
0: we're going to see Rorschach doing that in a couple pages.
1: Um, I like Watchmen a lot, and it definitely is very fun if you are familiar with the comic. They do lots of Easter eggs and sort of just things that are inspired by it. It's kind of like, oh, I thought Watchmen was fun. I'm going to make a TV show that has a lot of similar moments. I mean, in addition to doing a lot of other things, but— mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I like last night's episode the best. This is the looking where we find out the story of Looking Glass. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna watch the whole thing. I'm on board. But you know, it's yeah. But you got nothing. But you got nothing going on. I have nothing going on. It's a very low bar for me to watch a TV show. Like if there's light and sound being transmitted, I'll, I'll watch it. Yeah, yeah. So um, the younger night owl of this reminiscing pair goes home. Uh, he seems kind of a sad sack dude, kind of a milk toasty guy. And Rorschach, the the guy who, yeah, isn't... Okay. he has a
0: Clark Kent feel. To him, oh yeah, right. That's right. He like Christopher this Reeve. Is what, this is what Clark Kent pretends to be like. Is what this guy is. <laughs>
1: Yeah, kind of a schlump. And when he gets home, Rorschach's in his kitchen, and he knows Rorschach. And this is the first time we really talk to Rorschach, and we kind of get a feel for Rorschach's personality. And he's eating a can of cold beans. He uh, is—I would say he is humorless and sort of nuts.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 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 What's
1: his name? Dan? Is this— Dan Dreiberg, the night owl. Yeah, Dan. Yeah,
0: he he sees—he him. looks horrified and disgusted. He offers to heat up the beans. Rorschach's like, no need. Fine, like this.
1: I mean, Rorschach is so funny. So they, we find out these guys used to be a crime-fighting duo before superheroes were banned and Night Owl retired. And um, Night Owl's trying to act like a normal human being to Rorschach. So a uh, long time no see. How you been keeping? Rorschach's answer, out of prison so far. <laughs> it's just like, Jesus Christ, Rorschach. And then Rorschach's got the little happy face we saw in the blood—near the blood-stained sewer on the first page. Hands—throws it at Dan— Dan says, what is this this little stain? Is that bean juice? And Rorschach's response, that's right, human bean juice. Ha ha. Yeah. I'm like, you get this character established pretty quickly. And he's shocked to find out the comedian is dead. And he doesn't understand why Rorschach's here. He's also trying to keep Rorschach from going out his front door. Yeah, it brings him down to his secret lair where his old superhero stuff is. So they can keep talking about it. Rorschach reveals that he thinks somebody's gunning for masks.
0: And so he's basically, he wants to warn his friend, but he's also... Clearly also checking his friend as a suspect.
1: Yeah. Like, would you do this? Could you do this? Yeah. Would you be able to throw this guy through a window? And Rorschach leaves through a tunnel, and Dan's trying to have a nice little reminiscence with him. Oh, yeah, those were great times, Rorschach. Great times. Whatever happened to them? And Rorschach's like, you quit, and walks away. And then we see Dan in his night owl costume, and he just looks very sad, doesn't he? I'm looking at page 13.
0: Yeah, it's unclear whether he's sad to have, like—I mean, he just was sort of reminiscing about the good part of his superhero life, and here is, like, the dark side of his superhero life. But also,
1: a colleague died. Yeah.
0: It's unsure. It's sort of everything. But also, like, as we learn more about Dan, it's like, he misses being a superhero.
1: He definitely misses it, yeah. Um, we get to a couple pages of Rorschach go into the waterfront— where all the bad guys hang out and just beating the crap out of people for information and they are all terrified of him. Yeah, the moment he walks in, the bartender just breaks down immediately and goes, don't kill anybody. <laughs> Please don't kill anybody. He breaks somebody's finger and uh, – but nobody knows anything and Rorschach is convinced. This is very <laughs> reminiscent of old issues of Spider-Man. Spider-Man would occasionally go into like dingy bars to rough up people for info. But this is like the most diabolical, violent version of that.
0: Yeah, this, this guy sort of mouths off to Rorschach, so Rorschach breaks off his fingers, assumes someone would fess up because they don't want to watch Rorschach brutally break this kid's fingers. Uh, he still breaks them all and leaves, goes, Yeah, I don't think they knew anything, <laughs> clearly,
1: or they would have said it. <laughs> Uh, This is Will and Kevin from Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. And hey, if you're enjoying this podcast, maybe try listening to our first season.
0: Yeah, maybe. We started this podcast by doing a whole season, 50 episodes, all about Spider-Man comics. We even did it under a different name. Screw it. We're just going to talk about Spider-Man.
1: And we did one episode for each issue of the original comic book run. That was done by Spidey's creators, Steve Ditko and Stan Lee. Plus, we spent time talking about the Spider-Man movies, the recent video game, one on Steve Ditko, one on Stan Lee, and lots of other fun stuff. And all those episodes are still up. They should be part of the same feed you use to get this podcast. So, if you're a fan of Spider-Man, uh, check those out. Screw it. We're just going to talk about comics. But in this case,
0: we're just talking about the first season where we talk about Spider-Man. All from Campfire Media <laughs>
1: And then we cut to a refined office in a big penthouse building, and we meet a Ke- And Rorschach is visiting a guy named Ozymandias.
0: Uh, Ozymandias is uh, just like a very successful human. He runs a—he uh, seems very rich and wealthy. He has—we find out he also is a superhero, the smartest man in the world. The world's smartest man
1: mm-hmm, was sort mm-hmm.
0: of his tagline. Yeah. And he sells toys based on himself, and he seems like a big sellout.
1: Like yeah, who just
0: became a superhero to profit off of it.
1: Yep. Um— and Rorschach basically says, the comedian's dead. I think somebody's gunning for masks, and he's investigating him. And so now we meet Ozymandias. Should we i we say this
0: about Ozymandias. He's not thrown by
1: Rorschach being
0: there like
1: Dan was. Yeah, he can handle it more. Uh, but he seems like the kind of guy who likes to handle stuff, just like this very successful businessman. We find out later how important Ozymandias is to this story. I think I didn't realize that for the first couple issues. I think yeah, I, I, mean, I think Ozymandias did not impact me the way like Rorschach or Dr. Manhattan did. Or even uh, Night Owl, who seems more important. Yeah. Because he gets
0: sort of – all the other characters sort of get tied in together quicker.
1: Yeah. Ozymandias is kind of out there alone for a while. Um, uh, and then Rorschach goes to meet the last two
0: main characters that we're going to meet. Uh, he goes to the Rockefeller Military Research Center.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: He has to break in. There's, like, guards everywhere. He breaks in easily yeah, he goes into, like, this big lab room where there's a giant, tall, blue, naked man.
1: Yeah, who is Dr. Manhattan, uh, who we find out is the only character in all of Watchmen who actually has superpowers. He's the only superpowered character, which I didn't realize the first time I read this. I think I did only because I think you had told me about
0: it. I think that was part of your pitch to get me to finally read it. You described, like, Dr. Manhattan and his impact.
1: Yeah, it was like there's – so many characters have masks who have such remarkable abilities like Rorschach's ability. He's just such a smart person who could break into all these places and the Night Owl has all these gadgets. Ozymandias is like so, you know, whatever, an overachieving guy that I forgot like, oh, yeah, none of them have supernatural powers. Only Dr. Manhattan does. But he has incredible supernatural powers. He's basically a god. Um, yeah, so when we see him, he is like, whatever, 50 feet tall, doing some kind of science experiment. He's there with his girlfriend, who's called the Silk Spectre. She's named after her mother, who was also a superhero called the Silk Spectre. And Rorschach's talking to them.
0: Right. And this is, for you, those of you watching the TV show, this is Gene Smart's character as a, a younger woman.
1: Uh, she's in the Watchmen TV show as a, a FBI agent who is unsentimental and not scared of much. And we find out why in this in this series. She has seen a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but when we meet her here, she's Dr. Manhattan's girlfriend. And we learn Dr. Manhattan's full story later. But he was a human being who, through a pretty typical superhero comic book type of nuclear accident gains the power to basically manipulate all of matter which means he mm-hmm. can do anything but he sure. was a sort of passive passive beta scientific nerd so even in his god form he still likes doing science experiments he kind of just like explores physics and stuff and has a girlfriend like he's still sort of partly human
0: we 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 see his story sort of out of order and as he gets uh you know further along in our timeline he gets more and more distant from his humanity. Yeah. Because even in this, when Orshak's talking about the comedian being dead, he's like, life and death are unquantifiable abstracts. Why, why should I be concerned?
1: Yeah, a live body and a dead body contain the same number of particles. Structurally, there's no discernible difference. Like, what a good way to establish what a cold, distant weirdo Dr. Manhattan is.
0: Yeah, this guy makes uh, Reed Richards seem like a, a warm, loving husband.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Lori, the Silk Spectre, does not like Rorschach. I mean, understandably, this is a violent, yeah. weirdo, crazy man. The comedian's dead. The comedian raped Lori's mother, as it was exposed in a book written by the older superhero man that we saw reminiscing. And so Lori yes. hates the comedian, and, um, doesn't mind that he's dead. And Rorschach is sort of tone deaf and insensitive to her concerns. Lori goes, Blake blake the comedian blake was a bastard he was a monster you know he tried to rape my you know he tried to rape my mother back when they were both minutemen and rorschach's like so you support the allegations made in hollis mason's book concerning blake just kind of like it's almost like a me too thing it's like oh you believe you believe the accusations and she's like of course i do you asshole
0: but there's also the aspect of him being like that's a clue possibly to rorschach right
1: yeah, that's right. You she hate, has motive. Oh, so you hate you hate the comedian. That's interesting. Yeah, but even the way Rorschach talks about the rape, I'm not here to speculate on the moral lapses of men who died in their country service. <laughs> and she's like yeah, yeah. moral lapses. She's infuriated. Uh, This is what I I mean by Alan Moore's um, use of uh, sexual assault as a story point. It is like a big deal. Like Laurie is here speaking to the trauma it is. It's not like this. It's not like the Kingsman where there's like crazy violence going on with almost no consequence. Like it has consequences here. It's a huge part of the story. I I guess I'm not trying to defend Alan Moore. I'm trying to explain how you can read this book even as like a progressive, like sensitive person and be like, this story is good.
0: I think the part that's harder to swallow is that uh, oh, yeah, Lori's the, mom sort of falls in love with the comedian.
1: That's right. That's her, right. Yes. Her
0: attempted rapist, she has good feelings towards now. Yeah. And even beyond that, she loves him. And a uh, huge spoiler alert, Lori is the comedian's daughter.
1: That's right. A huge so reveal. she
0: had consensual sex with the comedian eventually.
1: Yes, that's right. And now, that, I
0: think, is sort of tough to be like, oh,
1: this person tried to rape you, and you. Like, and boy, pretty conveniently, he's not such a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. I I know it is it's it's (laughs) I mean there's a reason why some people are like, forget Alan Moore. He's just a he's a very he's a bro dude who mm -hmm. just has a big vocabulary. Um you know, he's not as smart as you think he is. He's kind of just like a bro dude deep down, is is sort of like an accusation you could make about Alan Moore. Yeah. Um I I can't I can't dispute that. But he's a
0: great storyteller, but he's still a white man who maybe doesn't always see things. Great from all the perspectives, which, I mean, who does, I and guess? And there's but. not
1: a ton of female characters in Watchmen. Sure, right. The ones but who there, were there wasn't
0: are, necessarily in Superheroes of what he's aping.
1: He does—they're fleshed out, like Lori Blake. I'm sorry, Lori—she's got her mother's name here, which I can't pronounce. Lori Jupiter is also— uh, you, yeah, the Americanized version of the Polish name. Um, she's a fully fleshed out character. I mean, like, the if you're in an Alan Moore book, you are an interesting character. Um, mm-hmm. But there aren't a ton of the ones that are female. Okay, so Dr. Manhattan— Rorschach is upset, Laurie, and so Dr. Manhattan teleports him outside. Right. Laurie talks to Dr. Manhattan for a bit, and then she goes, hey, you know, maybe I'll call Dan Dryberg. I haven't seen
0: him in years, and she's bored. She's bored just watching Dr. Manhattan do lab experiments. She's sort of stuck in a lab next to this superhero, and she's like, hey, is it okay if I call him up and ask him for dinner?
1: And he says, of course not. I joined you, but I think I'm close to locating a Glunio.'" (laughs) (laughs) Which would completely validate supersymmetrical theory if we could include it in the bestiary. And her response is, that's fascinating. Okay, I'll call Dan. And it is funny. Like, this book is really funny. And so what, here's the thing I noticed when I was reading that I hadn't noticed before, is that while she's calling Dan and making
0: plans, Dr. Manhattan smiles.
1: Okay. At the bottom
0: of page 23, he has like a little smile. He's happy for her because he knows where this is leading.
1: Oh, I didn't, I've never thought about that.
0: This leads to him... Yeah, this is what I'm saying. This is the thing I noticed. So this leads to her and Dan sort of hooking up.
1: And falling and in And her love. sort
0: of leaving Dr. Manhattan for Dan. And later on in the very last issue, he steps over them uh, after they've just had sex. And he smiles there, too. That and he I... doesn't smile a lot post, I don't know, post-Vietnam.
1: <laughs> right, Or something right. like
0: that. Because he's—maybe be, uh, a little later than that. He's—because he's become so— uh, Robotic. Robotic. Yeah, he's lost his humanity. But here's a little smile. He— Knows what this is because he's kind of in all—we find out he sort of now exists sort of in all time. So he, he's sort of experiencing all his life at once. Yeah. And so he knows that, what this means. And he knows what's going to happen, and he's happy for her. And I think that's a really nice moment, but never noticed it until I, I never read it noticed, last night. I never noticed it before either. And I, it's got to be intentional.
1: Um, the last sequence of the book is the dinner between Laurie and Dan, and they're sort of reminiscing. They're talking about how they used to be superheroes. Laurie is talking about how she used to have this demeaning, sexy costume and how dreadful it was, and Dan is, like, nervously twitching his tie. Oh, God, yes, dreadful. And we're like, oh, yeah, he's attracted to her. Yeah. They make reference to something called the Keen Act, which is the law that banned superheroes. And they have this, the last page is so cool, Kevin. Yeah. Um, Dan has brought the little smiley face pin, which is weird that he actually brought that. It's murder evidence and it's evidence yeah. of a brutal thing. But th- it, it is nice for our comic book story. That I we're know what to- you're
0: going to talk about. And I'd like it to be the last thing we talk about with the visual. Uh, so I want to talk about one thing with the words before you talk about that. Okay. Uh, in that they have this thing like the Keen Act was the best thing that ever happened to us. And they're like, yeah, you're probably right. And that's followed by them not knowing what to say to each other Okay. humans. Right. Yeah. And then the thing they start talking about is being superheroes. They're like, this is the best thing that we're not superheroes anymore. But that's all they want to talk about.
1: Yeah. Their lives are kind of empty. We reminisce so anyway, to- about it. she reminisces yes I think that's a great thing to bring up Um, she reminisces about a villain who used to get off on being beaten up which is a very funny Alan Moore type of thing to observe yeah Remember the guy, the one who pretended to be a supervillain so he could get beaten up? And Dan's like, oh, yeah, you mean Captain Carnage? Oh, he was one for the books. And
0: then later on they ask, whatever happened
1: to him? Uh, he pulled it on Rorschach and Rorschach dropped him down an elevator <laughs> shaft. And she just starts laughing at how it's funny that and she goes, oh, my God, I'm sorry, that isn't funny. And then Dan's laughing, no, I guess it's not. But it is funny. Like this guy who gets off sexually and being beaten up tries it on the most violent superheroes ever existed and gets killed. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. it is sort of brutally funny.
0: yeah and there's even this clever like little ending sentence where uh it felt good there don't seem to be many laughs around these days and dan says well what do you expect the comedian is dead i know i i love that ending
1: so much it's a very
0: well scripted story but then visually you want to talk about what how this last page in top of the last
1: page is a close up of the smiley face pin in Dan. Now it's in Dan's hand. And we start pulling up just like we did on the first page, but we're pulling up and they're on the rooftop of this like fancy restaurant. And we get higher and higher and higher. And it's symmetrical to the first page of the comic. And the beginning of the first page begins with blood from the comedian's murder. And the last sentence of this is the comedian is dead. And there's just lots of structural, like satisfying Symmetry throughout Watchmen, man, it is. It just tickles your brain once you're once you're aware of it.
0: It's the sort of story that it feels like I could do a hundred (laughs) drafts and not have it feel as completely thought out as
1: this. this, The story is so hard to read because they make so many offhanded references to things that Alan Moore has thought through that we don't know what they are yet, like. Oh, the Keen Act was the best thing that ever happened to us. Well, we'll kind of find out what that is for sure later Uh, when she says, oh, do you know, he tried to rape my mother when she was on the Minutemen. The Minutemen is that old photograph we saw in the comedian's closet and on the wall of old Night Owl. Um, Vietnam became a 51st state because of Dr. Manhattan, who we just met. Like there are so many references to things we don't fully know yet that it's overwhelming. Mm hmm. Uh, and I think that's partly why people don't always read this when they start. They're like, oh, this is like no fun. And unfortunately, you have to read it twice, and then it's going to be one of the most fun comic books you've ever read, I think.
0: I, I know a lot of people who have read this and haven't read other comics or have read very little other superhero stuff and love it. I remember when that very poor Zack Snyder film came up. A lot of people that I met had read that comic, and I was shocked because they have shown no interest in superheroes. They'd also say, like, nowadays, everyone knows superheroes because of the movies. You can't not know a lot of these tropes. So this comic might be more accessible than it's ever been. Yeah, that's true. Even if you've never gone to see an Avengers movie, you can't help
1: from the commercials and everything to absorb some of that. First issue ends with a one, two, three, four, five, six-page text supplement, which is the autobiography of the old man we saw earlier in the issue. And it tells us a lot of the backstory of the Watchmen world. It talks about the, The first three issues, each end with an excerpt from his fictional autobiography. Well, it's not fictional within the continuity of the world. It's fictional to us. Right, right. Uh, in this world. but um, Not real like the comic book. Figure. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we learn through his autobiography the backstory of the Minutemen, which is the original generation of superheroes that he was a part of. It is a very readable thing. It's like a well-written story. Like Alan Moore is just a good writer anytime he puts pen to paper, I think. I, I put
0: off reading that again just like uh, young Kevin did when I read the first issue. So then last night I read the, the excerpt from the book and then I read the second issue and then I read the second excerpt kind of all at once. And as I was reading, I was like, this is a really well-written book.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like if Alan Moore wrote the entire autobiography, I think it would just be this very readable, fun thing. I mean, he is just so uh, impressive.
0: It starts with Hollis Mason talking about his neighbor or someone who works at a bodega who writes a bunch of books that no one reads or that just for herself.
1: Yeah, romantic novels. He's written 42 romantic novels, none of which have ever reached the bookstores. And he's like, and
0: since, but then he like talks to her about writing a book since she's written books before. And I, I even found that very charming and sweet and wonderful.
1: What a great way to start a story. And it also establishes Hollis Mason. He's this folksy man of the people. You yeah. know, he was a cop and an auto mechanic who likes the lady who writes romance novels. He's this sweet, sweet guy. He's like the only sweet man, I think, in the whole story. But he's sweet in that old timey way. Like he can. he's a good cop. He's a, He is the epitome of a good cop person mm-hmm. and alan moore has such a good handle on him right away even the kevin the beginning of his autobiography here that section you're talking about you know he's describing how he's talking to the um uh woman at the grocery store he's like listen i don't know from writing a book like even that's just like the way you imagine a salt of the earth type to speak yeah i mean alan God, this book is just great i just i love it so much
0: yeah he uh, is very self-deprecating he think he Even though he's probably the least broken of the superheroes we meet, he talks about himself as like, I'm as weird as anybody else out there because look what I did.
1: But it makes you like him all the more. I mean, and uh, that's the first issue of Watchmen. Yeah, they should make more. They should make more. They should have kept going. I think that series had legs. Um, I'm really excited to watch the rest of the HBO series. I it doesn't feel as fun. I'm. It's a little bit. <laughs> it's not pulling me through the way the way the comic book does nowadays. When I read it, it's done with a lot of love, and I just sort of feel lucky that it exists. It's like, wow, someone who's as much of a freak about Watchmen as I am is making a TV show. That's pretty fun.
0: Well, I mean, even looking at this first issue, it doesn't end like on a cliffhanger with like what's going to happen next. Th- this issue. This- yeah, there's no big reveal. There's no, like, big twist. The way there was um, in the pilot of the TV series, you mean? Yeah, the, like, I feel like the TV show feels like it has to end with, like, a shock or, like, oh, what's going on? What's this about? What's that about? Well, yeah. this is just sort of the whole show is sort of like, what's this about? <laughs> this whole issue, rather, is about, like, what's this about? And it sort of just exudes interest versus, like, having a couple moments that are there to pull you into the next episode.
1: I, I know what you're saying. Like, the TV show has different pressures on it in terms of that cliffhanger, but the pilot of Watchmen... The HBO series does do the thing of make lots of references to things that have a big backstory and you do not yet know what it is. Like there's a cop who wears a big panda mask. We don't know his story in the pilot. There's a cop who wears a mirror mask. At this point, we do know what his story is. But at the time of the pilot, you don't know what his story is. They're making reference to President Redford, who's Robert Redford. And they talk about Redforations, which are these kind of welfare things that some people are mad about. Like it does have that kind of dense thought about world feel, I think, uh, sure. and, it, and it is somewhat overwhelming and it's like, a, uh, it's like, I almost feel like I have to watch it again to be like, what, whoa, what's going on here? yeah
0: i think it is very good and it's very well done my my thing with this and with a lot of shows and movies nowadays it's like oh i still don't know as of yet why this story needed to be told as a Watchmen sequel like what is this story and why couldn't it have been its own thing because uh, let's talk just a tiny bit about what Watchmen is because like Watchmen is our its own original characters but originally when he when almore first started thinking about it it wasn't that
1: uh, why don't you tell that story that's it for us as steve Ditko fans this is very interesting
0: yeah, so Alan Moore was pitching things to DC, trying to like sell a book. And a pitch he made to them was that they had just gotten the rights to all these Charlton characters and a few other characters. And he was like, let me take all these characters that you're not really using, that you own the rights to, and tell a story about them. And Char-
1: Charlton was another comic book company. Uh, mm-hmm. as long back as the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah, DC bought the rights to them, but Charlton Comics had employed Steve Ditko, co-creator of Spider-Man, and Ditko had created a lot of these Charlton characters.
0: I'll talk about those characters specifically. To, uh, first, just like this idea that he pitched this to DC, and I think they looked at it and was like, ah, we love the story, we want you to make it, but we think you will break these characters and make them unusable. And the whole reason we buy characters is to like get tons and tons of use out of them. Yeah, So no, you can't use the Charlton characters. So he just sort of created analogs, and then those analogs sort of took on their own lives and changed. And obviously, the book is way better for that. Yes, because it freed him up to kind of do whatever he wanted. But But yeah, the original you
1: you can see you can see visual um, similarities and even a little bit personality similarities between Watchmen characters and Charlton characters.
0: If you look at these Charlton characters as a stepping off place for these Watchmen characters, it makes a lot of sense uh, because Night Owl. Launched off from Blue Beetle, and Blue Beetle was a Steve. uh, Blue Beetle Two was a Steve Ditko creation. Yes, where he was sort of this guy who, via gadgets, sort of took on the the name of an older Blue Beetle character that had was more just like of a guy who punched. I think he had powers, but the original Blue Beetle sort of was like this sort of uh, more old fashioned superhero, and then sort of a more modern superhero replaced him, and that's sort of very much what Night Owl is. And Rorschach is almost exactly like The Question, just a darker.
1: Yeah. And The um, Question Dr. is a
0: faceless mask in a trench coat. This guy just has a Rorschach symbol in a trench coat.
1: Right. Uh, Dr. Manhattan is sort of reminiscent of Captain Atom, who was a character whose power came from a nuclear explosion.
0: Right. And Steve Ditko on Captain Atom. He created The Question, I think, on a whole cloth. Uh, so those are three characters that Steve Ditko was all over.
1: Yeah, the comedian's based on somebody called the Peacemaker, who I've, I don't even know what the Peacemaker's all about. Yeah,
0: he may have not been Charlton; he may have been something else. Okay, uh, I'm, I'm, it's, uh, sometimes these things are confusing to me. But he was, yeah, he was definitely a character that DC bought the rights to.
1: There is some Ditko DNA in Watchmen. We make jokes about trying to attribute everything in the comic book universe as if it was created by Steve Ditko because Kevin and I love him so much. But Mm -hmm. all joking aside, there is true Steve Ditko DNA in Watchmen, for sure, in in terms of the visual inspirations. Uh, certainly, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons. It is an original story, no argument. But they they were inspired by Ditko. There's there's no doubt about it. Uh, so I, I guess I'll just we we should wrap this episode up. But I just want to say, it, really, if you've never if you are a superhero fan and you've never taken the time to read Watchmen, I mean, I can't be more sure that you will enjoy it, unless it's just too rough and violent and that it bothers you, which I do understand. But
0: yeah, this is not one of these comics that you should read with your kids.
1: Oh, definitely not. Oh my gosh. Um,
0: but it is one that you should. Read. <laughs> and when your kids get older, you can recommend it to them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> glad we. I'm glad we did this, Kevin. Do we have anything else yeah. we need to say about it?
0: Yeah, we're not going to cover the next 11 issues, I guess. No. Uh, so you should read them what? and see all the stuff we were sort of talking about. I mean, we're not even talking about, like, the big moments from the end that everyone sort of talks about all the time. Um, and I don't think we need to. Because um, as Will said, either. like, they are important. And they are really cool. It isn't what makes this comic great. Even without those moments, this is still a great comic. The
1: the issue that mostly gets talked about for Watchmen is the one that's called Fearful Symmetry, which is the story of... um, Rorschach. It's Rorschach getting captured, I think.
0: Yeah, but it's also his backstory of how he became who he is.
1: No. He's in jail, I think, right? Or is it he gets caught? The story of him, his backstory is told in the issue called The Abyss Gazes Also. But the fearful symmetry is the, is, issue, is the issue where he gets caught. So this is a spoiler. Rorschach gets captured at some point. Chapter 5. It's called Fearful Symmetry, and it is about the capture of Rorschach. And the, com- the reason this is, you know, Rorschach's face is symmetrical. So Fearful Symmetry, which is the quote from a Robert Blake poem. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: tiger uh, Tiger.
1: Yeah. Is it Robert Blake? That's also an actor. I'm not worried that I have that name wrong. William Blake, Robert Blake is an actor. I think who Steve killed this wrote
0: that poem, but yeah. uh, I could be wrong. Uh,
1: William Blake's poem, "Tiger, Tiger, uh, Fearful Symmetry," but the the issue itself is symmetrical, like layout wise, like the page, like the first page is symmetrical to the last page, the second page is symmetrical to the second to last page, and it's that kind of almost just like we didn't have to do this, but we did for fun narrative feat. That makes Watchmen famous. I actually don't think that issue story-wise is as fun as other issues, although it's great. But that's a really fun one that people talk about a lot. The issue of Dr. Manhattan being alone on Mars where you realize that he experiences all of his life at once is very right. Alan Moore. Yes. Uh, you know, each character's individual backstory, to me, that is the spine of Watchmen. The character stories are as what I remember. Rorschach's story, Dr. Manhattan's story, the comedian's story. That's what stays with me more than the whodunit mystery overall.
0: But even with like all this sort of stuff like being like a superheroes shouldn't exist, they're broken, they're weird, then at the end like they all get together, there's a superhero adventure from the surviving heroes, and Yeah. It's great. It's great. <laughs> it's it's, it's great. great. It's very exciting when Rorschach and Night, Night Owl, Owl start working together again.
1: Yep. And the so specter joins shouldn't in
0: shouldn't be superheroes.
1: What a what a feat. And Watchmen deserves all of its praise. Okay, I, I, th- I feel like I have done my part of this on this planet.
0: So stay subscribed to our podcast. We'll have new episodes in the new year, hopefully early in the new year. We'll be coming back with The Incredible Hulk if you want to get ahead of things. Read those first six issues. And uh, hopefully by then we'll also have a plan for what's coming after that. We've got some ideas.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, you can keep emailing us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. Please follow our Instagram page, Screw It Comics, and also our Twitter feed, Screw It Comics.
0: Yeah, and I hope you enjoyed this season. I know we did a lot of uh, format stuff that was different, um, covering multiple issues at once is the main thing. Sort of spending two episodes on some of those batches was very confusing. I think it was still a really good season, we, and it was really fun stuff we talked about. I think next season will be more like this Watchmen episode, where we cover bits of arcs rather yeah. than complete things. Yeah. Uh, or short arcs as part of longer runs. I, of I think that, what we've uh,
1: learned and what we're at least trying out for the next phase is to not recap so much per episode. We're going to do an issue an episode at most so that we can talk like human beings a little bit more.
0: And even though I love covering every single issue of the Spider-Man run, it would be more like just covering the Master Planner saga. Yeah. Instead of all issues, though, I, you know.
1: So we'll 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 miss a lot of the deeper cuts, but maybe we'll be able to cover more stuff that way.
0: So hopefully if if FF was too daunting and it and it scared you off, hopefully that'll bring you back. If you liked FF and like Spider-Man, hopefully this won't turn you off as it, we'll still be doing
1: what we were doing, just sort of more stuff, covering more. But let us know your emotional feelings in every which yeah. way about our projects at uh, Screw at Spidey at Gmail. And thanks for listening all season, guys. See you in the new year. See you in the new year, everybody. Bye-bye. The comedian is dead. <laughs> screw it, screw it. we just going to talk about comics.